2: The Natural Hat Trick, hosted by Luke Lipinski and Craig Morgan.
1: Welcome into episode two seventy one of the Natural Hat Trick podcast, alongside Craig Morgan, Daddy Hattie. I'm Luke Lipinski. We've got uh, got some, got a lot to talk about here today, Craig. Let's start with uh, your new look closet,
0: which has nothing in it. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm renovating the uh, the podcast closet. Okay. What is that behind you, by the way? It looks like a print of boomboxes. I can't. That's I
1: an, it's an original Picasso. And um, yeah, it's in there. It's, it's actually masking the uh, Van Gogh that's behind it. I, I just, I didn't have room for both of them in the frame. So um, yeah. You yeah, to fit them in the house with all the other things you have. Obviously. Yeah. It's like an art gallery. Um, Craig's going to be talking to Michael Russo later on as we preview this upcoming two-game series between the Coyotes and the Minnesota Wild. Craig, the only team the Coyotes haven't seen, and honestly, maybe the most important team the Coyotes will see this season, and they're going to see them five times in the next seven games.
0: Yeah, I am really curious to hear what Russo has to say about them. Obviously, it covers them very closely, but... I, I kinda think uh expectations have been altered on the wild a little bit because of the play of their young players. Uh they they're really uh taking this to another level. And the Minnesota Wild are no longer a dull team to watch, Luke. They I think they're pretty legit. I don't know if these you know, the young kids can sustain it in a condensed schedule. This is this is new to a lot of them, and that's a storyline to watch, but we'll get Rousseau's thoughts.
1: This really is the team. I mean, we, we saw the Coyotes were recording this on Thursday. They just beat L.A. last night, and that's probably the other team. I mean, realistically, coming into the season, I think everybody was willing to acknowledge the Colorado, Vegas, and probably St. Louis are making the playoffs out of this division, and likely San Jose and Anaheim are not. So, And I think most people would have put L.A. in that group, too, and they probably should still be in that bottom group. The, the general thought was Coyotes and Wild, uh, one of them makes it, one of them doesn't. LA with all due respect to them, they have sort of wedged their way into this conversation, but I still think it'll be Arizona or Minnesota getting that last spot.
0: We will see. Yeah. Like I think there are some concerns with LA and that they're, they're being carried by their older guys. It's not like the younger guys are showing anything. Can, the, can those older guys sustain it? I mean, this is, this is a really tough schedule to sustain that. And even if they do, does that make you happy about the future of the LA Kings when it's Dustin Brown and Anshanko Kopitar and, Jonathan Quick and Drew Dowdy that are leading you there, you know these guys aren't going to be around in a couple of years. So you'd like to see some of your younger players stepping up. And, and Villardi has a little bit, and a couple of those guys aren't even here yet. But I don't know that I'd get too excited if I were L.A., and I think it's probably uh, better for the Kings that they not make it. Yeah, Velardi
1: really is the one, the one of, the, uh, of the youngsters that stepped up and is making an impact. As far as – I mean, Kopitar might be around forever. That's the only thing I would take issue with. He might still be playing in 35 years and be really good. But, yeah, they, uh, the Coyote, that, was a, that was a win the Coyotes really had to have last night because you can't go winless in three games against L.A. They would have dropped pretty far back you know, relative within the division. Um, let's take a look. Let's, I want to start with the defense, Craig. We were talking about this in the press box the other day. And if you look at the Coyotes' defense going forward, you know you have Oliver ekman Larson and Jacob Chikrin. I would assume Jordan Osterly. Uh, I mean, he's, Osterly's been really solid for what they're paying him, certainly. And I would assume Ilya Labushkin who almost got his first goal the other night and it had taken away like an hour after the game. Um, Beyond that though, it's kind of up in the air. And the reason that matters is
0: because you've got to decide if you're keeping these guys or trading him, even at the deadline. Yeah. Yeah. And that's absolutely the case. Uh, Jason Demers is on a, an expiring contract. Nicholas Chalmerson's on an expiring contract and Alex Goligoski's on an expiring contract. I don't, I don't, honestly expect any of those guys to be back next year. But when you talked about what the Coyotes have, assuming they re-sign Osterly and Labushkin, which I think they will make an attempt to do, you've got the left side locked up. You've got Jacob Chikrin, Oliver Ekman-Larsen, and Jordan Osterley for the left side. And you've got your bottom pair right-handed defenseman in Ilya Labushkin. And let's, let's be honest, that's where he should be. He's probably a number six or a number seven defenseman in this league. You need right-handed defensemen really badly for your your top two pairs, and you don't have them right now. And I know Victor Soderstrom's sitting down there in Tucson, but right now he's struggling even to adapt to the AHL. Man, I'd be really cautious about saying one season in Tucson and bring him up. I might give him a couple years to bake down there uh, and and not be afraid of doing that. So when you're looking at things that you need to do in the offseason, it's not easy to find right-handed defensemen, as we know, especially guys that go in your top four. But... That's got to be a priority for the Coyotes, and I think at least one of those guys has got to bring a physical presence because I know Labushkin does it, but he's probably not a guy you want there out there in enough minutes to make enough impact in that area. You need another presence like that, I think, on your blue line. That's a good point that I think is kind of being overlooked. It's not like the Coyotes
1: are likely to run Chikrin and OEL out there together as a defensive pairing, as your top defensive pairing next year. I don't, I don't think Rick Tockett wants to do that. So when you look at it at first glance, you're like, okay, well, they've got, you know, they've got two legitimate top two defensemen. So you just need to get like a three and a four or four and a five. That's easy to do, but that's not really the case. If you're talking about needing two right-handed defensemen and one of them is going to play on your top pairing and the other one's going to play on your second pairing, those
0: guys don't come cheap and they're not easy to find. Mm -hmm. Dougie Hamilton's out there. uh, You know, he, I don't know what what's going to happen with contract negotiations, but yeah, the right-handed defensemen are really tough to find. So, I'm really curious to see how they're going to play that. I know it's really important to Rick Taka to have those right-left splits. He's talked about it a lot, and you can see the impact of it, particularly on the breakout. When a guy has to receive a pass on his back end and then flip it over to his forehand, that extra split second either allows the opponent to get on you and pressure the puck, or if they're caught down low, they can get back above their guys, so it makes it harder to you know create chances off the rush through the neutral zone because more guys are back defending. So, I mean, the trade deadline, as far as looking at it for this season, the Coyotes are obviously
1: right in the thick of the playoff race. They are a team that made the playoffs last year. We've talked about this on the show before. They really should, if they're not a playoff team this year, they they shouldn't finish any lower than fifth. So you don't want to you don't want to trade away guys like Jalmerson in the middle of this season when you're when you're going for a playoff spot. But um, you know, with the trade deadline's April 12th this year. So you got about a month, about yeah. five weeks, basically, five and a half weeks. You think they would know enough by then what they, you know, where they're going to be? Cause I would contend this division is still going to be bunched up to the final two weeks of the season.
0: It may be, but I look, they play Minnesota five times and Colorado five more times uh, in the month of March alone. So I think they're going to have a really good sense of, of which direction they're taking by the trade deadline. I think Bill will know by then. And look, I, even, even then I still think he's going to try and make a couple moves We don't know what's going to happen with the draft. If we're going to have one yet, I still think we are going to have one and he'd like to acquire more draft picks. So I think a couple guys, at least will be on the move. And I'm actually going to talk about all of this, like, well, a bunch of the stuff we already talked about in in a neutral zone coming on Friday as well. Nice. And of course that'll be on AZ Coyotes
1: insider. I'm the only one that steps up and and plugs the name of the,
0: uh, of the website. I appreciate that. You should talk to that on the guy though. The other guy in this podcast is not doing a good job of promoting. No, he, he didn't do a good
1: job of promoting when he was here. He's doing a great job of promoting himself. Um, actually, he's not doing a good job of that either. The, uh, the next, we mentioned the next seven games, five of them against Minnesota. The Colorado games, for now, I'm fine if they just don't play Colorado for a while. I know they play them a lot coming up. but Man, Colorado is just, they're such a good team, but they're just such a bad matchup for the Coyotes on top of being a good team. Yep.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing too. I like when people came, fans came out of that series, they're like, yeah, this guy is definitely falling. This is not a playoff team. And, and you, you understand like, wow, they they just can't compete against this team. So if they see them in the playoffs, yeah, forget about it. But it's not like the Coyotes match up like that against the other teams in the division. So, you know, grain of salt, <laughs> take a step back. They just beat LA in LA. It's okay. They are. Yes, they are still in contention for the playoffs and, and there are other reasons to think that as well. We were talking about the Blues earlier, and I know they've won three straight, but take a look at St. Louis's schedule, Luke. They have played Colorado twice, Vegas once, and Minnesota zero times. Their entire schedule has been against the Coyotes and the California team. So there's a lot of balancing out to do with St. Louis' schedule, and it's going to be condensed.
1: Yeah, and that is remarkable. I mean, they really have. They've just played San Jose and Anaheim and LA and San Jose and over and over and over again, and the Coyotes obviously for seventh straight. But that went well for the Coyotes, and that's mm-hmm. that's the thing. Is like you look at the Colorado games; you don't have to finish ahead of Colorado to make the playoffs. And you, don't even, I mean, if you want to get super optimistic, you don't even have to play Colorado in the playoffs. Like, I mean, depending what your expectations are for the Coyotes. If you at least want to go towards the second half of the season and say, okay I don't I don't necessarily know what the ceiling is if you want to have that approach, which I think is, is typically a good approach for a fan, you don't want to know everything. Um, you could easily make the playoffs and play St. Louis in the first round and Vegas could take Colorado out or you could play Vegas in the first round and St Louis could take Colorado out now I would I would like the coyotes chances against Vegas a lot or St. Louis a lot more than Vegas. But I'm just saying that just because you're not matching up well with the Avalanche doesn't mean your season's over. But you do need to finish ahead of Minnesota to make the playoffs, which is why the next week and a half is huge.
0: Well, maybe if if St. Louis is for real. I'm I'm still not convinced that St. Louis is for real. I've seen some troubling signs with that team and again, their schedule so far has been a it, it's probably been the easiest schedule in the division, and that's going to change. So the fact that the Coyotes already have an edge on the Blues, and they have one more game against them at Gila River Arena. You know, if they win that season series, and St. Louis has to play that brutal schedule, maybe the Blues are the team that could miss. I'm I'm not convinced that they're yet. They're yet. I know they've had slow starts. I know they won the Cup in 2019, but there are some troubling signs with that team. Greg,
1: they did went just win the Cup in 2019. They were in last place in the entire league in January. The
0: point that I made when I, when, you know, when I was saying, yeah, I'm not convinced yet. I said, well, I understand they've had slow starts before. <laughs>
1: um, okay, well, let's, let's go even bigger picture with this then. You could make a case the next two weeks, and I hear what you're saying about St. Louis, but you can make a case the next two weeks really define your season, and certainly the next month is going to define your season because there's only a little over two months left. How pivotal is this for Rick Tockett? I mean, I would contend that each year he's been here, the Coyotes have noticeably improved. If they do that again this year, I don't know why you would make a change. These guys seem to respond really well to Rick Talk, and especially that that young group of like fourth and fifth year players.
0: Yeah, and that's the group that matters, right? Because the yeah. the other guys are going to be gone. Um, this is a hard read for me. Um, you know, my 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 experience covering this league tells me that GMs generally want their own guys. So I'm filing that one away, and so it would not surprise me at all if Bill Armstrong decided he wanted someone else. On the flip side, I think these two guys are like-minded in the way they want to build an organization. So in many ways, they're on the same page. They see eye to eye, and, and I think Rick likes a lot of what Bill is doing and thinking regarding this organization. Both have said they don't even want to worry about the contract right now. They're content just letting it play out. They'll talk about that later. So where this goes, I don't know, but what what's really driving me crazy, and I know you're of the same mind on this one, I keep reading these accounts of how Rick Tockett should be on the hot site. He should be gone. He hasn't gotten enough out of this team. Good God, man, look at the roster. <laughs> how many of these guys should not be NHL regulars? Where is the third-line center? Where is the top center? Where is your elite goal scorer? How many holes does this team have and what exactly do you expect him to do with this roster? It is insane to me, literally insane to me to say it's clear that Rick Tockett isn't getting enough out of these guys. That to me, Luke, is just really bad analysis.
1: Yeah, I mean, you could you could make the case a couple years ago when he first got here that he sort of cleaned out some of the younger players, and we talked about this at the time. And you know, there were guys, you know, he came in and you know, supposed to be building around Max Domi and Anthony Duclair and some of these guys, and he he did essentially what you're saying. GMs like to do as a coach came in and was like, okay, I want certain players like this, and this guy's not, he just doesn't play my my style of hockey or whatever. But that hasn't been the case lately. I mean, he is this this group with Dvorak and Keller and now Schmaltz. I mean, since they traded for him a couple of years ago, and and certainly Chikrin and uh, and Lawson Kraus hasn't scored this year. I mean, he's been close. They're they going to need some offense from him. But up until this year, most of those guys have developed really well under Rick Tockett. And to your point, that's the group that matters.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Look, I still think you can you you need more from Clayton Keller, especially because of what he's getting paid. But, you know, Rick didn't hand him that salary. That wasn't his decision. Clayton is who he is. But yes, even Clayton Keller has progressed. Those other guys, I really like Nick Schmaltz most of this season. I know he just went through a five-game streak where he didn't produce any points. But he was doing a lot of good things in those games. There was one game I remember tweeting that he was the most dangerous player on the ice. He's played well. I like Nick Schmaltz's game. Jacob Chikrin has become a top-pair defenseman. Uh, you know, And I, I know Connor Garland's not in that group, but Connor Garland has really developed well. And if you look at what Connor Garland is doing structurally away from the puck, that is a product of all those sessions with Rick Tocket. They sat down together and really worked on it. And that's why you see Connor Garland on the ice in critical situations now because of Rick Tocket's coaching.
1: Yeah. And they all speak pretty highly of him. I and mean, to your point on Schmaltz, he said this last night after the game. He was like, yeah, I wasn't, you know, if you're if you're out there to score goals and you're not scoring and you go through a slump like he just went through, it was a mini slump, but it's a slump you I'm sure it gets in your head or it can get in your head. But he said last night, look, I've been around it. I've had chances. It's when I don't have the chances I'm gonna be nervous. And that's true. I mean, to your point, and it's a couple games in there where it felt like he he did score or produce offense and he just didn't have the numbers to show for it. So he gets back on track uh, ideally last night. We've also seen and, and maybe this would be the same with another coach. I'm not saying that Rick Tockett is you know has to win coach of the year every year but when this team has a couple days to practice with him they seem to respond very well and that's Mm. a general rule when when a team has actual practices it helps them but especially again i don't know if it's the youth of this team or what but as as a group that young core really seems to respond when they can have a couple full practices
0: yeah and that showed last night at least through the first two periods that i'm not sure what was going on in that third period it was Uh. weird how much they sat back and let LA come at him, and thank, thank goodness for Auntie Ranta, who really gave them a big start last night. But yeah, through the first two periods, I like the Coyotes game. I, I think they were being outshot mildly, but they were they were out outchancing the Kings for through, through those first two periods, and that was a good sign. I guess that's the best way to put it is if,
1: if, you know, if the Coyotes fall off a cliff in the second half of the season, then obviously you can have the Rick Tockett conversation because he's not signed past this season. But to say he clearly needs to go – my pushback to that conversation every, every time is, well, who's your answer? And it's usually Gerard Gallant. I know that's always the answer. Um, one day Gerard Gallant's not going to be out there. So that, they're going to have to, it's going to have to be a better answer. I'm not saying Rick Tockett's a perfect coach, but I just, when you improve year over year and to your point, Craig, you still don't have that true number one center. You've got great goaltending, but I, um, I really want to see what Tockett and Bill Armstrong can do together because to your point, they, they think the game the same way. Mm -hmm.
0: that wasn't the case before this year with what rick Tockett had and sometimes you could see it on the ice yeah by the way they haven't even gotten great goaltending this season they've gotten good goaltending they haven't gotten great goaltending they're giving a lot a lot more up than they were last season which is a concern but when you look at the personnel that they gave up you, you sort of understand it and a little bit of the style that they want to play they're pushing the pace they're probably going to give up some more chances but they haven't been as tight defensively this year and yet here they are they're still in the race How big do you think that performance
1: was by Auntie Ranta last night? Because prior to that, he had had one really good game against St. Louis. And other than that, he'd been kind of uneven this year. And, of course, I mean, we've talked about this on the show a lot in the past. Typically, when he's out there, he's really good. The concern is, can you rely on him to be out there? If he's not performing at like an A level and you can't depend on him being out there, I mean, you got back-to-back against Minnesota coming up this weekend. I think it was big that he showed up and basically won that game against L.A.
0: Absolutely. I think it was big for him too. I mean, yeah, it's it's important for the confidence of the team in front of him. You don't want to see your goalie struggling because that changes the way a team plays, but yeah, he's going to have to play probably Saturday. I think Darcy Kemper is probably going to play the other game in this series. Um, Auntie Ranta just needed this for his own confidence. And he talked about it last night. My, my first question to him was, you know, uh, sometimes it takes goalies a while to work into a game, but it looked like you were locked in and he was having none of that analysis. (laughs) It's like, ah, not really. (laughs) He said he didn't feel good in the first period at all. And he called that save on Kopitar just luck. And he just hit his glove and dropped into his pad. And okay. Okay. Maybe that's what it takes sometimes to make a save like that. And he said by the, by the time the first period was over, he did feel like he was dialed into the game, but. I mean, 40 saves, Luke, (laughs) he made 40 saves and there were some, there were some tough saves that he made last night. I know he's a bit of a perfectionist. And if you've talked to Auntie a bit, you know how much of a critic he is of his own game. It's almost like he's never satisfied with his own play, but he was really good. And that, that is something they need to see from him. That, uh, that save on
1: Kopitar, it, Kopitar's reaction said it all, right? I mean, Kopitar has seen it all and done it all in the NHL. He's won a couple of cups. He's been a big driving force behind them. He had a look on his face like,
0: what? How, how did, seriously, how did he stop that? He literally mild the words, oh, my God. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> he's got all of it. He put it where he wanted to, and and Ronta was somehow there. You know, Ronta says, well, it just went right into my glove, and then, you know, you were there. Yeah, you were there. Your glove was in position. That's half the battle. He literally had to move from post to post on a one timer, and he got there.
1: Huge save on Drew Doughty in the closing minute of the game. Yes. Deserved to win. That one was not luck. Uh, we'll talk about a couple of prospects here before we kind of go around the NHL, and we'll get some of these uh, listener questions too. Barrett Hayton, Jan Yennek, can you just kind of give us an update on how you're
0: feeling about those two? Barrett Hayton uh, is struggling a bit down in Tucson. Um, And I don't know, you know, I don't know how much last season messed up Barrett Hayton. I I do wonder about that. That was a, in the end, it was a mostly a wasted year of development for him. And I don't know what it did to his head. They need to just let him leave him alone for a while down there. He's got to remain there for the entire season. Hopefully Tucson doesn't have any games canceled and he gets a good amount of games. And, And like I said, with Soderstrom, Luke, man, don't be afraid if, if it, it requires even one more year. Don't be afraid to do it. Make sure you get this right. He is an important piece. On the flip side, Jan Yannick has looked pretty good so far. I still don't know what his timeline is either. I'd be surprised if he were with the club last year, but if he continues to progress, maybe. But I'm going to have, actually, I'm going to have something on him in that neutral zone too that I think is going to be a bit of a surprise to some people. So I'm just going to tease it like that and not say any more. All right. Um, that's fair. That's very cryptic. Yes. Yes, it is.
1: Yannick is one of those guys, I mean, a third round pick in 2018. And obviously with Connor Garland's doing where they drafted him, you have to have guys like that. And for the longest time, the Coyotes, and all the talk was like, oh, we can't, you know, you're not keeping your first round guys. Or you're not getting the number one overall pick. We, they weren't hitting on guys in the third, fourth rounds either that are making impact. I mean, if Yannick can come in here and be an impact player next year, it doesn't have to be the extent that Connor Garland is, although that would be nice. But when you have a couple guys like that, that lays a, a much stronger foundation than what they've had over the last decade in a lot of ways, because those are guys that in theory should be around for a while and you should be able to develop them yourself. And, uh, and you know, Bill Armstrong has a track record of being able to, to your point, They don't rush Barrett Hayden up, or they don't rush Victor Soderstrom up. They let them develop in the AHL until they're completely ready. So, you know, I know a lot of people are will pile on Chica at this point for what he did. And you and I talked about this the day it happened. So did Jamie It was one of the few things we all agreed on. We thought they gave Keller too much and and too long before he had really proven himself. My only fear now is, is if that makes it harder to re-sign a guy like Garland, I sincerely hope it doesn't, but you at least understand what the logic was of, I want to get Dvorak signed. I want to get chicken signed. I want to get Smoltz after they traded for him. I didn't draft him trade traded for him. I want to get Keller. You want to, you want to, if you're going to draft this core, you want to make sure you sign them all too. So sometimes you have to overpay. I think in some ways the coyotes are in a good spot. They got a lot of things. I mean, obviously the draft issues is coming up and, and you know, there's a lot of questions on the blue line, like we talked about, but they do have their core.
0: Yeah. And, and, and listen, yeah, the Keller Keller contract, I think we can all agree was a bit of a reach. But are you feeling okay about Jacob Chikrin's contract? Yeah. Are you feeling okay about Christian Dvorak's contract? Are you even feeling okay about Nick Schmaltz's contract? I am. Yeah. So all the all the criticism that he took for those moves, I don't know. I, I think those might end up being some pretty good moves. I mean, when you look at the money Jacob Chikrin is signed to and Christian Dvorak is signed to, I got no problem at all with those contracts.
1: Yeah, Chikrin in particular, given his position and the fact that he was a first-round pick and he wasn't, what he is now when they signed that deal, but he was showing flashes. I mean, again, he, he played in his draft year. Defensemen almost never do that unless they're the first overall pick in the draft. And he stepped in and played his draft year. I mean, I guess the, the questions were about injuries, and he, you can't predict stuff like that, but he has developed each year. And uh, he's, he's maybe been the most encouraging development this year because he looked so good last year, and then the bubble kind of looked uneven, almost like he was trying to do too much. And he's yeah. bounced back in, a, in a, an even bigger way this year.
0: I'd like to see – you know, I know Dvorak has slipped in terms of uh, point production recently. Christian Dvorak's playing too much. He's playing too many hard minutes, and that's what's going on here. I think Christian Dvorak is just tired because he's in a role that's demanding too much of him. This team needs a number three center so badly, Luke, somebody who can win draws, somebody who can play defense. Oddly enough, they need Derek Stepon in their lineup right now, who he's, he's not going to be back. Of course, yeah, Derek, we'll talk about that in just a second, but they need a third center who can win draws, especially on the left side, but they're getting killed on faceoffs this year. They need a guy who can defend and take some of those hard minutes against Christian Dvorak. They're really riding him hard. And I think that's taking away from a little production that we might see from him, but on the, on the Derek's oh, go ahead. I'll let you talk first. You wanted to add something. Well, I was just
1: going to say, I mean, we, we talked about depth of, of of scoring and we were looking at it last night during the game because it was the same guys producing. And they're producing pretty well, the, those top six. But, I mean, the Coyotes, the lineup they ran out there to start last night, their third line had a combined zero goals this season. So if you're looking for something to be worried about, Garland's been great. Dvorak has been really good, to your point. He's, he's almost playing the role of two guys right now, which is a lot to ask. He's still pretty new in this league to be to be doing that. I mean, this is not Ryan O'Reilly. This is not Sidney Crosby or Nathan McKinnon or whatever. Um, But those, those top six point producers on this team, if you include chicken in there, they've all been great, but there has been a drop off like Johan Larson. I'm happy with his game and he's, you're not asking him to score a ton of goals. So when he chips in, it's, it's big, but they are going to need more production from a couple guys.
0: Yeah, no question. We've talked about Krause and Fisher. They need to, they can do a lot of good things in a game, but at some point they need to give you points. You can't you can't be a guy who goes through a season with zero goals. That's yeah. that's just not going to play in this league. They have got to find a way to get it done. But it, again, I, I I go back to the need for a number three center. They just don't have that guy right now. They really really miss that guy right now in the lineup.
1: Well, I mean, you mentioned Derek Stepan. We kind of go around the NHL here. He just it's just been a rough year for him. I mean, I know 2020 was a rough year for pretty much everybody, but this, this particular season for stepping and you're right. In a weird way, the Coyotes could kind of use him back.
0: He's, uh, he's not playing more this season at all, though. It's just, uh, I, it, it's tough to see because he is a really good guy. Yeah. I mean, he's injured now and out for the rest of the season. Ottawa announced that uh, a couple of days ago. Um, and, and of course, he had to deal with the fact that he was traded right after right after his wife had a baby. So I, I, you know, I, I would, I would imagine Derek is at least back with his family right now, which would be a good thing because it was really hard for him. There was this narrative out of Ottawa that, you know, while while they were right about the trade rumors, <laughs> and and of course they were because Bill Armstrong, we said it all along that Bill Armstrong was going to try and trade one of those guys or more of those more than one of those guys on expiring contracts. There was this narrative out of Ottawa that he couldn't wait to get out of Arizona. Literally 100 percent incorrect. The last thing he wanted to do was be traded. His wife was having a baby. Yeah, I want to get out because my wife's having a baby. I just want to abandon her and abandon the family. No, he did not want to leave. So at least if there's something good that can come out of this, Derek Stavon can be with his family again, which is which is cool in these times.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to be traded. It's another thing to be traded in the middle of a pandemic when your wife just had a kid and you get traded to a team in another country. I mean, that that's that's a lot. And look, with all due respect to Ottawa, because Jamie's not here to trash random cities in the NHL, you know when you're getting traded to Ottawa this season, you're probably not looking at a playoff run. So on top of everything else, that's uh, that's that's – that's one thing if you are a single guy and you're just you're getting traded to a new team, okay, whatever, but when you have all that extra stuff going on and you're going to a team that's probably going to finish last in their division and it sure looks like they are, that's, uh, that's rough. Sticking in that division, Craig, Sean Burke finally gets an expanded role. He gets it with the Montreal Canadiens. I do wonder if at some point he may have the very
0: difficult job of saying, "Oh, maybe Jake Allen should be our starter over Carey Price, but that's not an issue right now. Yeah, I, I'm curious about this one, too, because we all know Sean Burke wanted to be a GM or at least an assistant GM in this league. And, you know, who knows if, if Mark Bergevin, Bergevin sticks around beyond this season, maybe there's a different role for Sean Burke. But I found it interesting that he went back to his roots to goaltending. Um, he clearly did great things as a coach here. He was instrumental for Ilya Brisgala, for Mike Smith. He, he he was a really good goalie coach. There's there's just no denying that. Dubnik, too. Yeah, Devin Dubnik too, absolutely. And then We can name other guys too that he that he tutored as well that were backups here. Um what I wonder about Sean Burke in this role, you know, we we've, we've seen where this uh this newfangled goaltending department has gone for several teams and there's a lot of cutting edge stuff to this whether it's analytics or or methods or analysis I don't know how versed Sean Burke is in that stuff. I, I honestly don't know the answer to that question one way or the other, but when you look at guys like uh, like Brian Decord here locally, who who clearly is on that edge, that avant-garde edge of goaltending, you wonder if Burke is going to bring that same thing to Montreal because I think that's where this whole department thing is going, and it's, it's long overdue that teams start paying more attention to such a critical position. Now, I know there's only one guy on the ice, and you can only have a couple in your organization, but – if you have a continuous pipeline, that means you can keep walking away from these guys or, you know, you have other solutions coming in the system. Um, it's just amazing to me how little attention has been paid to the position for so long. So to have a, a goaltending mind like Sean Burks in the organization is, is really going to help, I think, in some respects.
1: That, that's a real interesting point because we look at the most pivotal positions in sports. I mean, obviously, quarterback. Starting pitcher, although starting pitcher only pitches once every five games. Um, I mean, I guess point guard and basketball, but goalie and hockey is is right there. I mean, you could make a case, goalie's right there behind quarterback as as the second most important position in sports, in the sense that if you don't have good goaltending, you're not winning anything. I mean, that's just I don't care how good the team is in front of you, you're not winning. And if you have great goaltending, you're you're in every game. And we've seen teams in the in the playoffs in the past go on a run. That weren't even really that good at teams, but they had either a hot goalie or just a great goalie, and those are the extremes. I mean, most teams fall more towards the, oh, we have good or bad. But yeah, I mean, if you could, if you could dedicate more resources, like I would rather dedicate more resources to having to being on the cutting edge of that with goaltending and to have good goalie
0: development than to pay one goalie ten million a year. I, right. I understand why you would do that. And that's sort of the point here because I do agree that it's dangerous to hand out those huge contracts to goaltenders because we've seen very few that can sustain that sort of elite play. There's there's a handful of guys that you can name. So if you can create a pipeline where, you know, if you're in like a Columbus situation where you know you can walk away from the guys that you have who have played well because you got two more guys behind them that are probably going to be just as good, that's a really good thing for your organization because – it, it, it's uh, managing your cost as well. You don't have to give a goaltender that huge contract.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you want to look, if you go back and look at the Vezina voting, like over the last 15 years, because you know how goalies are, they have like their own goalie website. So they'll actually put all the voting out for every year. It's, it's like the one award you can find easily beyond just who the three finalists were. you go through and you're like, okay, who are the top five, six, seven vote getters each year. It's different guys every year, man. Like Pecorine in there pretty consistently. And, Henrik Lundqvist is in there pretty consistently, and that's it. And Bobrovsky's won a couple times, but then he's also been horrible a couple of years too. Like to have that consistency for more than four years is it's a lot more rare than than you think. And uh, that's that's why, yeah, if you can just establish a, a strong. I mean, look look at the Coyotes. They for the last decade basically have had strong goaltending. It hasn't been the same goalie every year. We didn't even mention Thomas Grice who really got his his career kind of nice <laughs> like that the happiest goalie. Ever. Um
0: let's uh before you go segue here's here's a question I want to throw out to you. Okay. We've talked about guys on the trade block. You saw the Colorado Avalanche. They have Philip Grubauer right now. Colorado is so cup ready. They are so in their cup window. You know where I'm going with this. Uh, yeah, I think I do. If, if the Coyotes are out of it, knowing what we know about, you know, the, the windows of elite play of goaltenders and where this organization is going in the immediate future, if Colorado comes calling and says, we will give you our first round pick. And I wouldn't take a second round pick for Darcy Kemper. I wouldn't. I think that's underselling him. If they're, if they come to you and say, yeah, we'll give you the, whatever it ends up being the, say it's the 28th pick in the draft, the first round pick. You take that pick if you're the Coyotes. Do I get Grubauer back? Do I get Do I get something? Does, yeah, does no, maybe. Maybe you get something, but, I, you know, the first-round pick is – goalies don't bring first-round picks very often. We know, yeah. as we've seen. But to me, I mean, Colorado is just the prime example of a team that needs to take a hard look at itself and say, okay, we have – we can roll four lines and nobody can, nobody can attest to this better than the Coyotes. They have four really effective lines. They're, they're a really good defensive team. Do we have the goaltending to carry us to a cup? And if not, are we really so worried about giving away the 28th pick in the draft to acquire Darcy Kemper? If I'm Colorado, I definitely
1: do it because again, that's people hear first round pick and they're like, oh, you're going to get a guy that's going to play right away. No, it, I mean if Colorado gets Darcy Kemper, it might be the 31st pick in the draft. Honestly, it's it's yeah. that's the, the grand scheme of things. Anywhere in that range, 20, 25 on, you may just draft a guy that never plays. So of course, if I'm Colorado, I'm 100 percent doing it. you have Kemper for next year too. So you have to feel pretty confident. If you make that trade as the avalanche, you're going to win or at least get to a cup in the next two years. I would think if I'm the coyotes, it's sort of the the reverse of that. Like who's my starting goalie then is it Antti Rontek. Cause I don't think I can count on him over 82 games.
0: I don't think he's don't, even back next year.
1: Yeah, exactly. He's not signed past this year and I, and I'm with you. I don't, I, I just don't think they feel like they can depend on him enough when between games, um, I don't think that the 28th pick in the draft does enough for the Coyotes. I mean, you're right, you can never get a first-rounder for a goalie, but this team is built on its goalie.
0: Yeah. Do, but do you do you recognize that you're going to take a step back, maybe you sign a veteran for low money and understand that next year is probably going to be more of a a rebuild, non-playoff year with what you're trying to accomplish because you let's let's face it. This team needs to acquire elite assets that they do not have in their system they have some good assets do they have do they have genuine first line players in their system or top pair d maybe victor soderstrom is that guy but they need more elite players so one way is to you know well just immediately to get back in this draft and you're right maybe they need to get something else for darcy kemper but maybe part of that is thinking you need to take a step back and get higher draft picks yeah, that's that's a tough spot because your best chance to win is Kemper.
1: So this is, and, and he's good enough where you are. I mean, you may make the playoffs this year. You made the playoffs last year. And if you had him, as much as you're going to pay for not having picks down the line, you're going to pay in the sense of teams that miss on picks. I mean, there's going to be years where you don't have a first and then you don't have a second next year or whatever. There's going to be teams that whiff on their first-round pick this year and then second-rounder next year. You're still in it as long as you have Kemper. But you're right; they're going to have to do something. He just isn't the the guy that I would that I would want to trade. I mean, I understand that
0: might be your only option, but there are other guys I'd be more willing to move for picks. What? But you're not going to get much for most of those guys. So what? What do you? If you're out of the playoff picture at the trade deadline, if you really think, yeah, we're not making the playoffs, and then you look ahead to what next year brings, and you you take into account. You know, first of all, Darcy Kemper would need a new contract after next season. And if yeah. you're looking at next season as a write off anyway, are you committing to Darcy Kemper beyond that at his age? I, I, it's a lot, of, a lot of stuff to process.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess the, the the wrinkle in there that you did say the first time, and I wasn't, I didn't totally factor it in. If you're out of it this year at the trade deadline and Colorado comes calling with the, with the first round pick, you got to take a long, hard look at it i I do believe Kemper will be elite next year, and I believe he'll be elite for a couple of years after that like i it, it's it, it, I don't think that he's one of those goalies that's kind of all over the place ever since really ever since he got to l a that season he ultimately got traded to the coyotes he's been locked in and that's that's a few years now um but at the same time you're right i mean who's the other guys you're going to be able to trade to get a good return are guys in that core, and they don't want to do that i mean you're not going to trade. You're not I can trade Chikrin or or Dvorak, I don't think, for for pretty much anything.
0: You can't trade those guys. And you can't trade any of those top three tra- prospects that we talked about, or even Ivan Prosvitov, because he's your goaltender of the future, you hope. And if you're if you're talking about I, I know Clayton Keller was on the athletics big trade board, and I'm just like my eyes widened at that one. Like, okay, who's who's taking that contract? Yeah. That's, unless that's part of a much bigger deal, I don't I don't see that contract being moved. I think when you sign a guy like that, and I, and I don't, I mean, he's, he hasn't been
1: a bad player. So I, I hesitate to use the word stuck with, but, but you are, you're stuck with him because if you're, if you're going to move a guy that he's producing fine, but not for that much money. I mean, again, go out and look at the players in this league that have less of a cap hit than him. It's, it's staggering. So if you were going to trade him, you're giving stuff up to trade him, which is completely counterproductive because he is one of your better offensive weapons. So you don't, you would only move him to get out from under that money. So you could out reallocate that money to guys like Garland and other pieces and get pieces back. So I think Clayton Keller's here for a while. I did see that too. And I mean, it's, it, I, I know it's been talked about in the past, but not like in a way where the coyotes are actually going to trade him.
0: Well, I, I just, I think that's being generated because the coyotes probably shopped him. Let's let's be honest. They probably shopped him and called around to see, is there a market for Clayton Keller that I, I just, again, I, I don't see that happening unless like I said, it's a part of a much bigger deal, or you're taking somebody else's contract that, you know, they're not entirely happy with the play of that player. So maybe there's a player that better fits your profile, you know, a more physical, I don't know what that is to be honest, but it's not like you're going to trade Clayton Keller and, and get these really good assets. Right. Yeah. And
1: that's the thing. You, you would have to get really good assets back for it to be worth it because even if he hasn't achieved what he needs to, to be at that level for that contract, he's still one of your better point producers. And honestly, unless it's St. Louis coming along and saying we'll trade for him just so he stops scoring against us, I don't know that you can move that contract. Um, the Canadian division, we were talking about it a little bit briefly off the air. It's it's a fun division because they are insane about their hockey in Canada. But it looks like it's a one-team race. And I just, I can't I can't envision a way where Toronto, I think Toronto's going to the Cup this year. And I, I mean, it depends who they play in the Cup if they win. But the biggest thing for Toronto the last couple of years has been the mental block of getting past Boston early in the playoffs. And now they're not going to play a team I think has any chance against them until the third round of the playoffs. this year.
0: I think they're just going to coast through that division. Here's the thing that jumps out to me about Toronto this year. They are fourth in the NHL in goals against per game. If you look at the past two seasons, they're down in the twenties, they are defending the puck. And if you watch them against Edmonton, especially with Austin Matthews out those first two games, They just, Edmonton wasn't getting to the net. That's a really good sign of Toronto's development. If you're you're at the point now where you're playing really good defensive hockey, okay, now I'm ready to look at Toronto and say, yeah, you're a cup contender because we know they have the offensive pieces. And and quite frankly, I think Freddie Anderson's a terrific goaltender too. If you're going to play that kind of team defense in front of them, okay, this team is, it's time to take this team seriously. And we thought that all along we've been saying, They're going to get there. Toronto fans are freaking out that they're not there yet, but they're going to get there because this is an incredibly talented team. Well, they're playing like it now.
1: The pushback on the defense could certainly be that you are in a division where you're only playing Ottawa and Vancouver's melting down and Calgary's been sort of uneven. And Montreal, Montreal's been decent. I mean, they're not like an offensive powerhouse. Now, to your point, they just shut down Edmonton, and Edmonton, I mean, it's Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, however you want to cut it. It's not much else, but it's two of the five best players in the world on any any given night. So if you're shutting them down, you're doing something right. But honestly, even even if a good chunk of that evolution defensively is the weakness of this division, it doesn't matter. Because to me, what Toronto's been missing the last few years is that defense ahead of Freddie Anderson, And just the I don't know if it's self-confidence or whatever it is, but just you have to get over that mental hurdle of that was Boston every year. By the time a team like Boston or Vegas or Colorado or Tampa Bay will have played Toronto in the playoffs this year, they'll already be rolling. They'll already have won two series. They'll have beat Calgary and Edmonton or whatever. So, I mean, it would not shock me if they won the cup at all. Honestly, they'd probably be second on my list right now behind Tampa.
0: Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the Canadian division is the highest scoring division in the NHL right now. So if you can play this kind of defense, and again, you just mentioned, they just shut down McDavid and Dreisaitl. They shut yeah. them down. Nobody does that. Literally nobody does that. That's a really good sign. I really like Toronto's chances this year. Well, and
1: I mean, if, if somebody said to you, you can't have Toronto in this division, so who's, who's going to make the final four? I, I don't care so much about the regular season. I mean, Toronto's going to win the division the regular season.
0: I can't even pick another team. Maybe Winnipeg, yeah. I, I, and that's the other thing. You and I were talking about this. They are, they are scoring a lot in this division, so the fact that Toronto's defending well is, is a good sign. But I look at this division, I don't think it's that good. It's <laughs> I don't not. think it's that good. That's <laughs> Toronto, yeah. It's. Uh, I still think Montreal is overachieving. Yes, and, they- and they're slipping. They may end up sliding right out of it. I think they will when it's all said and done. But yeah, yeah even the teams like... You know, Edmonton and Calgary are, are good teams, but they're they're not great teams. They're not cup contenders. And, you know, Winnipeg, with all their losses, they still have some terrific players. But I, I don't see it there either. I, I almost feel bad that Jamie's not here as
1: much this season because Vancouver is nonlinear progression personified. And we talked about it so much last season about how they were probably overachieving a little bit. And their, their fan base and the media just thinks they're going to win the cup every year. And I'm pretty sure they've never won the cup. In fact, I know
0: it. They might finish behind Ottawa this year, Craig. <laughs> like, yeah, they're, I mean, they're, they're, they're two games away from the halfway point of the season, Luca. they have a 385 winning percentage. They are not a good team. Let's just go ahead and say it. Vancouver is not a good team. I did not think they would be this bad. And that's I have to admit, I didn't think they'd be this bad, especially after you coming off a playoff run where they look pretty good. Whew. But teams have clearly scouted them. They've mm-hmm. scouted certain players in particular that we've talked about quite a bit. Vancouver can't defend. They can't defend. They're a terrible defensive team. Well, and it's a slippery slope in this division, too, because when
1: you start losing and you have expectations and you're a Canadian team and you're losing to Toronto and Edmonton and Calgary, Cow- it just you can see, I mean, they're not as bad as Ottawa, but they are three points ahead of Ottawa, and they've played an additional game over Ottawa. Like, it, it's not inconceivable that Vancouver finishes last place in this division. They shouldn't be that bad. I do think some of that
0: is just you start losing, and the pressure mounts in that division. Yeah. Listen, if uh, if Quinn Hughes gets Norris Trophy votes this year, <laughs> <laughs> I might write a column. <laughs> you know, I'm he not- may end up leading all defensemen in points, but – My goodness, he's given up a lot. Let's play this game
1: right now. Where do you think he finishes in voting? Uh, I think he'll finish top five. Yeah, I
0: do too. I do too. And it's crazy. Look, I hate plus minus as a stat, but there there are plenty of underlying stats that show how bad he's been defensively too. But he's a minus 15. That's a problem. (laughs) That's that's a big issue. (laughs) It's a really big issue.
1: We just talked about it with Toronto. This is not that good of a division. So I understand when you're out there against Toronto, you're going to be out there for some opposing goals. And probably when you're facing McDavid and Dreisaitl, you're going to give up some opposing goals. Who else? You know what I mean? Like, it's not, you're not, you're not playing against Tampa and Boston and Vegas and Colorado every night. Um, Yeah. That's, that has been an interesting turn. It's, it's overcorrected. I I feel like this year Um, before we hit listener questions, Over half the league now is going to either they already are allowing some fans, or they plan on allowing some fans soon. I know Pittsburgh had some in for the first time on I think Tuesday uh, when they played Philadelphia. Where do you how do you feel about this, and specifically with the Canadian division beyond this year? Because Canada, I mean, you're talking about two very different countries right now.
0: Yeah, and, and, and I mean, you saw Biden's tweet that he uh, he expects all adults to be vaccinated by the end of May, which is which is fantastic. It's yeah. it's nice to see that kind of leadership, and that's 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 obviously putting the U.S. in a different situation. I'd like to like tap the brakes until we get there, to be honest, so that we don't have another big outbreak. But it's really encouraging to see that the U.S. is headed in that direction. Canada is not. Canada has yeah. been really slow with its rollout, so there is concern that. Not only is Canada not going to be ready for fans this season, but it's going to extend into next season with how long it's going to take for the vaccine rollout. So what does that do to a variety of issues? What does it do to revenue? Because a couple of those Canadian teams bring in a lot of money for the for the league. What does it do to you know competitive balance? What does it do to realignment, Luke? Are we at the point where we can just say, hey, you know what? Let's just go ahead and keep that Canadian division because, well... You can see what's going on here. Yeah, I mean they might
1: have to. It's that that would be brutal if if the Canadian teams of all teams couldn't have fans at the games into next season. Now first of all, I'll just say I'm with you because it is early March. If we can just hold out for 2 months and everybody's vaccinated, what's the rush I, now? I, yeah, I mean if you had told me 12 months ago hey you've got to wait till may of 2021 i'd have been like okay that's a long time but now we're two months away with all the sacrifices everybody has made i'd rather not have any like weird like mutations or whatever let's just go like two more months Yeah, let's not be the czech republic yeah let's just <laughs> they're waiting waiting for their fourth wave now yeah no no thanks let's just for this post, let's let's do it right but i mean with canada it, it's you know, I'm not up there. I don't I don't know about their leadership and how everything's being handled. But it's if, if they're going to be on such a different level next September and October. I don't see how you're going to mix them back in with all the, a lot can change, right? I mean, if, if the U.S. if the U.S. really does have every adult who wants to be vaccinated by the end of May vaccinated, then maybe Canada can start making some progress by August or whatever, or September. But if things are the way
0: they are right now, I don't I how would there not be a Canadian division next season? Yeah, I don't know. It's, that's, that's definitely something to watch. Did we talk about the uh, playoff odds models already? We no, the- we didn't hear. Yeah, I, I just wanted to bring that up really quickly because if you go to Money Puck, the Sharks have better playoff odds than the Coyotes. And I know guys will say, well, it's the model. It's what the model shows. My answer to Money Puck is get another model because the Sharks are abjectly horrible. They're one of the worst defensive teams in the league. They're maybe only worse than Ottawa or maybe Vancouver. The Sharks are not a playoff team. They do not deserve better odds. So your your model is wrong. Your model is terrible. Um, you know, I've, I've looked at others, like the Athletic has four teams ahead of the Coyotes, but it's the four teams you would expect to be ahead of the Coyotes. There's no way you can put the San Jose Sharks ahead of the Coyotes in terms of playoff chances.
1: Yeah, I mean... If I, I obviously can't build one of these models, so I'm not going to sit there and be like, "Oh, you, you guys don't know what you're doing." But I would say this: if I'm building a model, I would kind of, on one hand, I would want it to maybe show some stuff that people didn't think of. Like, I wouldn't just want to go through and rank the divisions as they are and be like, "Hey, look, my model told us nothing." But you do need to take a step back at the end and be like, "Wait a minute, this is like building a car, and you're like, hey, by the way, there's no engine, and the whole thing's upside down." Well, <laughs> but so
0: we built it. <laughs> Exactly, and that's the same thing. Like I have, I see the the athletics model has St. Louis with eighty two percent odds of making the playoffs. They played the California teams. They haven't played anybody else. How do we get there?
1: Well, here, this is how you get there by calling San Jose a playoff contender, and then then you say,
0: "Hey, St. Louis keeps beating San Jose. They must be good."
1: Yeah, that's uh, we're dating on that. Anyway,
0: we can get to uh, listener questions now.
1: Yeah, before we get to your, uh, your interview with, uh, with Russo, let's look at some of these interview questions. Um, and this might be a good one for for Russo, but I'll throw it out now. James writes in, for everyone, does the scratching of Parisi on, uh, on March 3rd mean anything more
0: than the line change that they were upset about? Could they be wanting to move on from it? Well, I mean, I'll let I'll let Mike answer this more definitively, but I think they've been wanting to move on from Zach Parise for a while. But with that contract, they ain't moving on from Zach Parise. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's, nobody that's taking that contract. That that's the. Um, oh, here we go. Non-linear
1: donut ball delivery. I first of all, let me just shout out this account because yeah, it's a terrific account. It is, and like when you look at the description of the account, um, well, I don't know about this uh, this com this. Comments about my uh, my and Child Protective Services—they're obviously very healthy. We all saw them less than two years ago, but uh, but but <laughs> the whole bio is about our show, so I'm a big fan. Which was the best Van
0: Halen lineup with David Lee Roth or with Sammy Hagar? This is this is an easy answer for me, and uh, I'm curious to hear what you have to say because if you answer wrong, um, this may be the end of our partnership here. It's David Lee Roth. I mean, yeah. Sammy Hagar—it's fine. It's not like I hate Van Hagar, but. Now, David, David Lee Roth brought a style to that team and and their best songs, by the way, uh, that, that Sammy Hagar couldn't do.
1: Yeah, um, it's interesting going back and looking at some of their songs. Like, there are some ones that, that Sammy Hagar did that I do like, but the majority of their hits are with with David Lee Roth. Like, the more, the majority of songs that you hear and you're like, oh, it's Van Halen. You know, because I was never, like, a big Van Halen fan. But there are certain songs where you're like, oh, it's that's Those are almost all David Lee Roth, so...
0: What's your favorite Van Halen song?
1: Um, I don't know that I really have one. I mean, they play. They play "Running with the Devil" before all the ASU games. Yeah, like in the stadium. So that one has like a specific. Uh, uh, I mean, that has that has the good feelings of college football with fans. That has those connotations
0: tied to it. The good memories uh, attached to that.
1: Remember college football when you could go to games.
0: Yeah. That um, cool. What's yours? Dance the night away.
1: A great song. Yeah, I could see that. I could see you just dancing the night away to that song. I actually don't, but I do uh, love the song. Okay. Um, oh yeah, and then Mike jumps in. If anyone says Sammy, they're wrong. So no, he's he's right. Oh boy. Right. Cam. Cam Cam writes in uh, worst place to live, Winnipeg or Minnesota. I mean that's just mean. That's uh Well, it's also clearly Winnipeg, so yeah, I know. That's why I want to give I've never actually been to Minnesota, but they have Minneapolis is a cool city. Yeah, and they have it's a really a, cool city. They have a rink with eight sheets of ice, don't they?
0: I don't remember the exact amount, but yes. And you it's
1: would at, it's at least eight. It might be more than eight. So I'm hundred percent in. Just because the wild have bored us to tears over the last five years is not we're not impugning your state or your city or your hockey there. It's just Minnesota wild hockey until this year has been brutal. This year, not so much. Yeah, apparently you just needed a real cap yourself.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. And, and by the way, didn't didn't uh, Minneapolis give us Prince, too? Yes, yes. What did Winnipeg give us? Um, yeah, keep thinking on that as we move on to the next question. I'll, I'll get
1: you something by episode 272. They gave us a lot of grief when the Coyotes were in bankruptcy. I can tell you that. Oops. Uh Coach East Jack, J.J. Watt's a hockey fan. Maybe we can get him on the Natty Hattie. All right, and he tagged J.J. Watt, so I would expect a call soon. Yeah. Um, like he's from Wisconsin. Of course he's got to be a hockey fan. A lot of these are wild
0: questions. <laughs> I'm a I'm Raven Blackhawk fan by the way. I w- I wanted to get that out there. Is he really a Blackhawk fan? Yeah, yeah, he grew up a Blackhawk Black fan.
1: We need to have him come on. Shaw, Wisconsin. We need to have him come on the show and ring the bell when we talk about Stan Bowman. Awesome. Um okay. it's I'm a Raven. Ha ha. <laughs> You read that reluctantly. Yeah, because I'm convinced they put that at the end of their names to make me sound like an idiot. Do the Coyotes break the illustrious record for most too many men penalties in a season?
0: Uh, <laughs> uh, awkward moment. Can I say something on this, though? Yeah. It, like, w- when you reach this stage, okay, at this point, it's probably incumbent on the coaches to say, next too many men on the ice penalty draws a fine. <laughs> Somebody's getting fined. <laughs> but this is not on the coaches. It's really simple. You know this, you played, you know when you're supposed to go on the ice and when you're not, this is on the players. This is just a dumb mental mistake by the players. You know, where
1: I'm inclined to say, this is where I'm inclined to jump in, Craig, and be like, yeah, you know, if you play hockey at all, you know, uh, just, you know, when to change, you know, when the guy you're coming in for, where he is on the ice, he knows when to come up, but maybe it's tough at the NHL level because of the crowds and you can't, there's no crowds. <laughs> the crowds are, are I mean a coyotes games it's a quarter of the, the 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 capacity so that's not that excuse doesn't fly this year I don't think they're going to break the record because it's only a 56 game season so that'd be tough
0: right I'd like to like to see them go for a long stretch of games without one of those and and hopefully that message has been delivered behind the behind closed doors because that's <laughs> it's just it's it's the ugliest penalty to take I mean it's even worse than the puck over the glass because the puck over the glass really shouldn't even be a penalty in most no, cases. I've I hated that one for a long time.
1: Um, here's a couple. This is from Coyote Stands Germany. I don't know if the question was answered last time. What about Coyote's prospect,
0: Farinacci? He hasn't played a game since the World Juniors. Is he hurt? What's the plan with him? I, it, it was answered, and, and I wrote a story on it, actually. Um, thanks for subscribing. Apparently not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy.
0: John Farinacci is working out in Florida with a group of Harvard players. I wrote about this in a uh, neutral zone in January, January 22nd, to be exact. You can go on azcoyotesinsider.com and read all about it, or you can just take my very brief mention of it right here. If you don't want to read in depth and don't want to sub- subscribe. I like how you know the exact date of the story, like Sean McVay re- re- just
1: recalling like a second downplay from the first quarter in week three. Um, Tyler. I know hot dogs with ketchup are inexcusable. Thank you, Tyler. But what about dogs
0: like the D back's churro dog? Is that acceptable? LOL. You'd, you'd have to answer this. You've probably had a churro dog. I have not. Um, I,
1: they had me sample a bunch of their food before the season a couple of years ago. I wonder if I had the churro. Yeah. Churro dog? I think, I don't think if I had that. Um, churros are always acceptable. Let's start there. So anything with a churro is fine. And I would say almost any like crazy concoction a baseball team comes up with baseball teams have a little more leeway with me because I feel like baseball somehow invented the hot dog, even though that's not really true, but we're going to say it is true for the purposes of this podcast. Anything is more acceptable than ketchup on a hot dog. So if you want to tell me like, Hey, the Chicago Cubs are putting ice cream on their hot dogs, I'll give it a shot. It's better than ketchup on a hot dog. Oh, so wait, is the churro dog a dessert? That's I'm trying to remember if the churro dog is, is on a churro bun or if it's actually a churro yeah,
0: dog. Yeah, I'm looking at it. It looks like it's a Long John chocolate glazed if, – if this is the right thing, if I'm not looking at an incorrect image. Long John chocolate glazed donut with a cinnamon churro, three scoops of frozen yogurt, caramel and chocolate sauce, and whipped cream, which all sounds great to me. Yeah. If you put ketchup on
1: that, you're a monster.
0: And then someone will write in next week and tell us that is not what a show dog is at all. So thanks Craig for nothing. No, I'm looking at the picture. That's what it is.
1: And I don't, I have not had that because I I would remember that I would remember the donut fun. Um, Let's see. (laughs) Uh, I go by H now. Why is Vegas the only team with an adjective? If the coyotes added an adjective, what would, what would it be? Howling, growling, hungry, fluffy, probably not fluffy. (laughs) <laughs> probably
0: not fluffy, Arizona fluffy coyote. Uh, yeah, I mean, they used to be a really good Twitter handle. Probably not fluffy, that <laughs> I, I would hope is already out there. Uh, why, why are the why are the go well? It's well, it used to, by the way, Blackhawks used to be two words, then they made it one word. Really, one piece of trivia for you there. We used to have the Minnesota North Stars, used to now have the Anaheim around. Mighty Ducks. Mighty Duck, see. And everyone got rid of it, realizing, yeah, two-name things don't work. But Vegas said, wait a minute. Yes, they do. In fairness, Daniel Schwartz wrote back and said, Columbus, blue jackets. There we go. We got the blue jacket. (laughs) Yeah, I think we need to move on from this question. I don't know what Uh, it would be for the Coyotes, though. What would you you attach to Coyotes that would even make sense?
1: It would probably have to be howling, but that's too clunky and doesn't sound good. I don't know that there is one. I mean, Coyotes is already – yeah, Coyotes is fine the way it is. Yeah, I will say this. If Vegas or Columbus took the adjective off their name, I would prefer Vegas did it because we all just call them the Knights anyway. The Columbus Jackets doesn't really do much for, for anybody. Oh, it's how they play defense, Luke. Oh, they yeah, they blanket yeah, you. That's that's all I got. Um I I think that's probably it for the questions. I'm trying Uh-oh, to avoid this- something. <laughs> well no, I'm I'm trying to Oh, <laughs> Booper wrote I in. Mean, do you have a wave machine suddenly in your room? Cause I'm hearing odd noises. Oh yeah. I don't know. Yes. I, I have a wave machine just behind the Picasso and the Van Gogh. Here we'll, we'll close with the, uh, and I'm also not using a microphone this week cause I broke it. So we're really a high budget operation on the side of things. Um, I'll, I'll close with Booper. How does this picture make you feel? Luke Lipinski. And it's a picture of the jackhammer that was going off in, in, uh, in the background last week when I was recording the podcast. <laughs> Um, are there any high end second line centers playing on an expiring contract the coyotes could pursue
0: i, I don't know honestly I, I i haven't looked apologies they they need a they need a center but i don't know if they're going to make that move this season with financial considerations where they're going in the future i mean what what do you have to give up right you, are you going to really you, you don't have prospects that you can trade or Draft picks that you can trade. You can't be giving up draft picks if you're the Coyotes. That's the, the really tough situation Bill Armstrong's in. Yeah, that's the other side. And then obviously, it has and Bill Armstrong had nothing to do with it. This is what he
1: inherited. But as much as I can look and say, okay, I do think people sometimes overreact to the draft picks in the sense that you weren't going to hit on all those anyway. You need to have them for situations like this. Oh, I want to trade this guy, and I want to bring this in. Okay, well, that's going to cost picks. Or I want to get rid of this contract. Well, that's going to cost me some picks. It's almost like currency. And and Bill Armstrong stepped in when he just he doesn't have as much currency as as pretty much every other GM in the league, so he's gonna have to work his way up there. But um, the bright side for him is he has a team that's a playoff contender right now too. Although that I guess could put some extra pressure. I just don't think the Coyotes are gonna feel pressure internally in the front office to go all in right now because, like you
0: said, they don't have they don't have future chips to push in to the middle of the table. What do you do if you get to April twelfth and? They're sort of in the situation they are right now, or maybe you're a couple points back of a playoff spot. You've 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 played Colorado pretty much as much as you're going to play them at that point. You're going to have a, a more favorable schedule, and yet you're not in a playoff spot. Man, that's a that's a really tough spot to be in. Yeah, that's probably that's probably the spot
1: Bill Armstrong doesn't want to be in, right? Like You don't want to miss the playoffs, but if you're going to miss the playoffs, you'd like to know a little bit before the trade deadline so you can start formulating some trades. I think the Coyotes are going to be right in the spot when the trade deadline rolls around. I still think this is a playoff team, but I, I do want a closer look at Minnesota, which we're going to get, because um, I think that's really going to dictate a lot of the Coyotes' future is how they do against the Minnesota Wild in the next week and a half. But uh, if you're right there, it would be really tough to trade Kemper at that point, but I think It's tough because if somebody comes along and says, hey, we'll offer you this for Golagoski or something, if you start trading away any of the pieces you're using now, then why would you hold on to temper? So I would be inclined to just sort of stand pat at that point and see what I could do in the offseason. But you don't have that bonus of it's worth making the playoffs because, you know, fans and you get that extra revenue and that's meaningful. Like you don't, you'll get some fans, but you can't count on anything beyond that right now.
0: Yeah. What would you do? I, I honestly don't know. It would be a brutal situation to be in. And, and when, when you talk about guys that could bring some sort of return, you're probably talking about Alex Goligosky and uh Auntie Ranta. If he, you know, if he he can play a good stretch here and play like he's playing, those are probably the two guys that are going to bring some kind of return at this point. So there's not a lot there, first of all. So there's not a lot that you can do at the trade deadline. You've already moved Derek Step on, um, I don't think Nicholas Chalmerson's going to waive his no move. Uh, so, you know, what do you do? You're not going to get anything for Jason Damaris at this point, are you? He hasn't even been in the lineup. So, yeah, I mean, there's an argument to be made to say stand Pat, but then if you can get something decent for Rontar or Golagoski so that you can help your future, which is clearly what's important, don't you need to do that? Don't you need to look past this season, even if it's a little unfair to the players who are, you know, battling to stay in a playoff spot? Well, and I think Ronta, Ronta specifically, yeah.
1: I mean, I, I, I'm not going to go out there and be like, hey, we got rid of Ronta for a fifth-round pick in the middle of the season. Like, okay, well, what's the point? But if, if I'm going to get something that I, I think is valuable, if I'm, if I'm in first place, no. If I'm right on the border of being a playoff team at that point, I'm fine with Aiden Hill as my backup at that point. I mean, I'm probably going to ride Kemper for the last month anyway as much as I can. And, you know, when they ask Hill to step in, he's been okay. Like, You're not going to say Aiden Hill is going to carry us to the playoffs at this point in his career, but I'm fine with him as the backup if you can get something. I'm just thinking more, I I wouldn't want to trade Kemper. That's a tough message to send, not only to the fans, but, yeah, to the guys in the room. The thing, though, with the Coyotes is they're not – I'm trying to think of a team that would be a good example. They're not a team where it's like, if we don't win now, it's all falling apart. Your core is here for a while, as we talked about earlier.
0: Yeah, yeah. And But if you're going to trade Ronta, you have to get like a second or third round pick for him, right? yeah. Yeah I, I would, yeah, I mean, maybe you can get him to Colorado for their second round pick.
1: That's like the 55th pick in the draft or whatever, probably. So sure. maybe then you have three second round picks. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. I mean, stockpiling. All right. Uh, I'm going to step aside so Craig can do this potentially award winning interview with Michael Russo. <laughs> All right, Luke. Here's Craig with Michael Russo of The Athletic to preview this weekend's series with The Wild.
0: Well, Mike, let me just ask you a few things about Minnesota. One of these things I already asked you, actually, um, but I- I'd like you to speak on this for a little bit. It seems like the Wilds' expectations have been altered a bit, and I'm I'm wondering if you can talk about that, specifically what the young guys have brought to, to in fact, alter those expectations.
2: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I, I don't think anybody really expected that they would have such uh, impact by some of the rookies on this team. I think everybody hopes that, Caprice Kaprizov would have a seamless transition to the NHL. So far, it's been uh, pretty good, uh, leading all rookies in points, and, and he's only going to continue to get better. So that transition has been really good, but you know, nobody expected Capo Kakinen to even be on the team, Craig. Uh, you know, he was supposed to start in the minors or on the taxi squad. Alex Daylock and Cam Talbot were supposed to be their, talent, their tandem. But then Alex Daylock uh, misses the start of the season because of an unfortunate um, uh, heart condition that, that he sustained, his complications from Having uh, COVID 19. And so they put their rookie on the team, and again, they didn't expect that they would play him a lot. But then Cam Palda gets hurt in the home opener, and then he uh, becomes one of 15 wild players that got COVID 19 during their outbreak. So Kakan kind has of stepped in, and, and Coyotes fans will see him tonight. Um, he's 8 and 4, he's 5 and 1 on the road. Uh, 930-something fade percentage on the road, 181 goals against average on the road. So he's been really good. And then Nico Sturm has stepped in and been really solid, mostly in a fourth-line role for them. So you're right. I mean, they've had a much better start to the season than I think a lot of us anticipated. And um, now it's put uh, Bill Garrett in a decision where if they keep this up, they'll have to decide in the trade deadline how to react to it because if you look at their roster, they have a lot of guys in the last year of their deal that could be quality rentals for somewhere else. And while I don't think the Wild are going to go out on a buying spree, uh, they may not be really quick to, to sell some of these guys unless the assets were really good. I
0: want to ask you about the goaltending in just a minute, but you mentioned Caprice Kaprizov, and, and obviously everyone's aware of him now with what he's done early in the season. What jumps out at you about his game?
2: Um, that he's unlike any wild player that normally puts on a wild uniform. <laughs> I mean, he is, uh, you know, I, I tweeted out last week, it's, it's almost hard to believe that this, that somebody this talented is wearing a wild uniform. I mean, the wild, perennially did a team that has picked about, you know, 10th to 20th in the draft, never gotten a top, top, upper end line uh, prospect uh, at the top of the draft, and, and um, here they get a fifth round pick in Kaprizov, and he just looks like he has the chance to be an absolute superstar. He just does everything well, you know. I don't think he does one thing that's just you know superstar ish, but he does. He, there's really no downside to game to his game, other than maybe his size, and yet he doesn't play a small game. I mean, he is heavy on his skates, a real wide stature. Um, his skating is really quality, not not like bursting like lightning fast speed like Kevin Fiala, but. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know he's got some giddy up and go, and his edge work is outstanding. Um, great shot, excellent vision and playmaking ability, and, um, and we're seeing him. I mean his ice time is unlike most rookies. So um, you know, two two games ago he played 23 minutes, um, um, and he's somebody that you know. Last game when uh, when Ryan Hartman also got hurt, he was double shifted on the fourth line uh, compared to also playing on the on the top line. He's had gotten real good chemistry with Matt Zuccarello, and. I know the wilds are hoping that it continues.
0: Wanted to ask you about Eric Sinek as well. He's getting some buzz. I know you and Dom wrote a piece on him as yeah. an early self as an early Selkie candidate. Uh, what what are the factors there that maybe put him in that race? And obviously, it's a race that's hard to get in because it's based often on reputation.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I think the big thing is he's always in your face. He's always there, and you'll see it tonight. Like, he will drive Coyotes players nuts, and you'll look at the shifts, Craig, and you won't, you won't see anything that he's doing that's particular, particularly agitating. He's not like a Brad Marchand or an Alex Burrows or somebody like that. He's just somebody that's always there, and that becomes a pain in the butt to deal with at times. And So he's hard, he's big, he's fast and he always plays in the offensive of zone crack. It's rare that you're gonna see him in his end a lot. He gets that puck out and on the attack, and so what it does is it creates also a lot of offensive chances, which is, you know, it's the best defense when you're playing in the offensive zone. And if you're the big of evolution in his game, is he's just been much more um, productive offensively. He always gets the chances. Usually he doesn't bury them in years past. This year he's starting to score, has eight goals, which leads to the team. Um, you know, he still is one of those guys that sometimes is maddening, though, because he gets so many chances that you feel like uh, like he should have 20 goals by right now. Like, I'm telling you, he left five, six goals on the ice the other night in Vegas, which is the thing that usually aggravates me the most about watching him, is that he's just one of those guys that you're know, like, how did he not score that? And it happens uh, too often with him. But then you take the balance of that and what he shuts down from the other teams, and it makes you realize that, you know what, that's still an incredible benefit to have somebody that shuts down other players and might not get as many goals as you'd think you think he should, but he's starting to get more and more of that this year. I
0: want to get back to the goaltending, uh, Devin Dudmik, obviously, no longer there, struggled a bit. Um, is, is the goaltending now for real? A lot of people, when they look at the Wild, think, oh, that's, that's system goaltending. Guys will thrive behind that team. So what's your take on that?
2: I think it is bad. I think that they're getting the saves that they need to get. And when they don't get it, they usually lose. And we saw that the last couple nights in Vegas where uh, Cam Talbot came in and gave up nine goals. I didn't think he was bad, but he gave up nine goals in two games. And Tackett gets get the start tonight, and probably Talbot on Saturday. But, um, you know, it's just much, much better. ...the teams in the NHL, not just when Jacques Lemaire was here, but when Mike Yo was here, when Boudreau was here, and now under Dean Epperson. And unfortunately, Devin Tubnik just uh, wasn't getting it done the last couple years and had one of the worst state percentages in the league. And for a team that had one of the, you know, least uh, allowed... High danger chances in the league. He was one of the worst goalies in that position uh, in terms of save percentage. So Kaka and Talbot, for the most part, have stopped the shots they should. Um, they still haven't won them any games, which I, I think at some point will happen. They're getting the goaltending that they need, and really up until the last two games, the Wild were you know third or fourth in the league in save percentage. Um, after Talbot's last couple, probably not anymore. But uh, but you know they're they're getting the goaltending, which has been the big difference this year. And when they don't get it, they lose.
0: Couple more quick things. I'll let you get to your wedding. Uh, Zach Parise, just a one game thing?
2: Uh, yeah, he'll be back in the lineup against the Arizona tonight. Dean um, Edison said this morning that they had a really good talk today and that they're going to move forward. Um, you know, he was scratched. He's had a tough start to this year, but he was scratched the other night. Uh, because he played a minute 33 shift his last shift of the game, and they gave up the tying goal, and there were two or three times that so he skated by the bench, didn't make a line change, and he paid the piper for that. There were three and the thing what Dean Evanson showed is that every player has the same standards. So it doesn't matter if you have uh, a $98 million contract or you're a $150,000 player.
0: So. <laughs> well, I, I think I lost you for a second there, Mike, but just asking you further about Zach, um, and I think... Sorry, it looks like he's playing on the third line right now. Do you think that's maybe where he has to be at this point in his career?
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, and he'll play with Dialis and tonight and said so it's not your traditional third line. Um, but, but I do think that the way that he's played this year looks like he's more of that type of player right now, Craig. And, you know, I've got to think he'll be motivated tonight. Um, you know, he was not happy about being scratched the other night, and, um, as you know, he's had some special, special games in Arizona as well. So, um, you know, I've got to think that he'll come out looking to kind of, uh, I don't even want to say redeem himself. I think he's going to want to show people uh, that he shouldn't have been scratched the other night.
0: My like, last thing I want to ask you, the, the Wild, obviously a lot of teams have gone through some COVID issues this year. It's altered the schedule. How do you think they pulled through that thus far? And then when you look at the schedule ahead and how insanely condensed is it, or it is. Uh, what are your expectations for them?
2: Yeah, I think if they continue to get goal setting, They're, they are, I believe, one of the top four teams in this division. So, um, you know, they've come out of the COVID unbelievable. I didn't think that they'd be this good coming out of it. They're 6-1-1 one, one in their last uh, eight games. Um, excuse me, 6-2-1 in their last uh, nine games uh, since coming out of the COVID break. Um, you know, I think that their outbreak scared the heck out of the league, Greg, and, and the, a lot of the protocols that have been changed that has – Help this league thrive right now um, is due to the wild situation and some of the mistakes that the league made uh, with testing and with overall protocols. So, you know, now guys are getting tested every single day. They're catching these guys, they're getting them up guys, and they're stopping outbreaks before they can potentially happen. So, um, but to get to the expectations, I think that this team has a chance to make the playoffs, and, uh, you know, and if they get goals inning and continue great play from guys like a pre stop, you got to start. Their top six, I think that they could be a contender. I don't know about a true Stanley Cup contender, but I definitely think a contender.
0: All right, Mike, we appreciate the time. Uh, we'll let
2: you get to your wedding now, but I, I will
0: fully expect some tweets from bizarre locations at that wedding today.
2: You know, I will, I will live tweet this guy's wedding, trust me. I hope to, uh, <laughs> Just out of spite.
0: So, uh, All right, man, great talking to you as always.
2: Yep, see you, Craig. Take care. Thanks
1: to Michael Russo of The Athletic for calling in with some insight on the team that's probably going to be the Coyotes direct competition for a playoff spot. So we appreciate that time. All right. For Craig Morgan, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hat Trick Podcast.